I looked for a picture of, of a couple of wrestlers, and this is the best one I could find, uh, because this is a wrestling match that took place overnight. When Laura and I were first married, we lived in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which is the, uh, it's a college town, and it's the home of the University of Alabama, and I had friends that, w that were on the wrestling team. Now, in college, a wrestling match usually lasts only about six minutes, and then it's over. But this wrestling match lasted all night. You can imagine how exhausted Jacob was uh, from this experience. So uh, let's ask a question. Who, who is the angel that wrestles with Jacob? In uh, the book of Hosea, a later prophet, Hosea recounts this experience and writes this about this wrestling match. In the womb, he, Jacob, took his brother by the heel and in his maturity he wrestled with who? God. He wrestled with God. Indeed, he wrestled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. And he found him at Bethel. And there he spoke with us, the children of Israel, speaking. Now you know what Bethel means in Hebrew. House of God. So when we think about uh, uh, the angel, there's another experience of an angel showing up and revealing himself to none other than Moses. And it says in Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, the angel of Yahweh, now Yahweh is simply a, a, a transliteration of God's sacred covenant name. If you have an English Bible, it will usually be translated Lord, but it's in small caps. So capital L, small cap O-R-D. That's a translation of the Hebrew sacred name of God, Yahweh. Whereas if you have Lord, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, that's the translation of the Hebrew Adonai. And we see those two words used together in Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, or what does that say in Hebrew? Yahweh said to my Adonai, sit at my right hand. So it is the angel of Yahweh. He appears to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked and beheld the bush was burning with fire, and yet the bush was not consumed. It's an interesting sight to see in the desert. And so Moses said, I must turn aside now and see what see this marvelous sight. Why is the bush not burned up? And Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look. And God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, take your shoes off, boy. You're standing on holy ground. I love the, uh, the, the animation of, uh, that Disney did of this experience. When God calls to Moses from the bush, and he says, take off your sandals because the ground is holy. You're standing up and the stones begin to roll away from the bush. <laughs> they did a great uh, representation of here's God the Creator entered into nature. And he's calling a man by the name of Moses. Every time that you see a name doubled like this, Moses, Moses, it is a Hebrew figure of speech that describes great uh, affection and love. You'll see that in the New Testament. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things, but your sister has chosen the best thing. 
on other places in the Old Testament, uh, like on the on the on the fearful mount of sacrifice where Isaac is laid to the altar, and an angel of the Lord shows up and says, "Abraham, Abraham, don't harm your son." So this angel is none other than the angel of Yahweh. Now, <clears throat> we learned some big words. Like uh, young people, uh, we're going to start uh, theology for kids, T- TFK. We learn big words all the time. For example, who's this guy? What's his? What's the? What's the? T- the name that he's known by? <laughs> okay. Or brontosaurus, yeah. Brontosaurus. That's a big word, is it not? How about this guy? Yes, Brontosaurus Rex. Okay, so we learn big words. We, we recognize that there are long words to use to describe creatures that existed in the past. So, how about this word? Incarnation. Good one, Nathaniel. Incarnation. What does that mean? Well, simply, it means that God came as a man. He came as a man, and His name is Jesus. Incarnation. It simply means that God took upon Himself human flesh. And we're told this in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Incarnation. And dwelt among us, we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the fa- from the Father, full of grace and truth. How about this word? Very good, Nathaniel. And what does that mean? Pre-incarnation. Pre means what? Before. Uh-huh. So before Jesus came in the flesh, born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, He existed. He existed as God the Word, God the Son pre-incarnation. And so we see Him showing up in the Old Testament in the angel of Yahweh. That is none other than the Lord Jesus before He came in the flesh. Now think about that. If, if God the Son has always existed, in the beginning was the Word. Not in the beginning came the Word, but in the beginning the Word already existed. So if He's always existed from eternity to eternity... He chooses to show up in the Old Testament stories as the angel of Yahweh. Because in the beginning was the Word. He was here. He was here before there was a here. And then He chose to take upon Himself human flesh. He became flesh and dwelt among us. The, the phrase dwelt among us uh, is, a, is a Greek phrase that means to pitch a tent which takes us back to the tabernacle the word became flesh and he pitched his tent among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth so when we think about pre-incarnation God the son shows up in the Old Testament as the angel of Yahweh so that is exactly who Jacob wrestled with You recognize these characters? 
Who is the lion in this story by C.S. Lewis? Aslan. C.S. Lewis is a British author who, by the way, died on the same day that our president, JFK, was assassinated. And because it, he died on the same day as a, an assassination of a U.S. president, most people don't realize that when he died, Great Britain lost an incredible author and apologist for the Christian faith. If you've never read the book Mere Christianity, I would highly recommend it. Written by C.S. Lewis, who was a former atheist who became a follower of Jesus. Um, so in this story, Aslan is depicted as Jesus Christ. And one of, the, one of the little girls by the name of Lucy asked this question. Is Aslan safe? And what's the answer? No, he's not safe, but he's good. And so Aslan, who represents the lion of the tribe of Judah, a representation or, or depiction of the Lord Jesus Christ, is not safe, but he's good. Sometimes we, we want to domesticate the Lord Jesus. But I don't see a domesticated Jesus chasing out the money changers in the temple with ropes. Is he safe? No, he's not safe, but he's good. He's always good. So when we, where we open up here in the story is a picture of Jacob trembling. When we consider the life of Jacob, who's the father of the twelve tribes of Israel, there's probably no more, a, a, a no more moving event than his wrestling with God at the river Jabbok. You know, I learned something new from just pondering this passage that I've never considered before. Who started the wrestling match? God did. Not Jacob. God started the wrestling match. He showed up, grabbed Jacob by the shoulder, and on we go. Now you can imagine that up to this point in Jacob's life, he'd never considered God as his adversary. He knew that his father-in-law, Laban, was an adversary, not very happy with him. And Jacob had anticipated his reunion with Esau as not going very well because Esau, earlier in his life, after he had been tricked out of his birthright, threatened to kill Jacob. Don't you think that Jacob had wrong thinking about God? Up to this point, he'd been using God as his personal bless me God. I certainly had nothing to fear from God, Jacob thought. But Jacob would soon discover in his horror that God would not be so used indefinitely. As we study this passage, the central question that I would ask each one of us is it have we been changed as deeply as Jacob was changed in his experience with God? Because not only did he have a name change, he had a character change. And every step that he took from that point onward 
was a reminder of the grace of God. Why? Because he limped every step he took. He limped. He limped to remind him of his wrestling uh, match with the angel of Yahweh. Just so that we are clear, we have a, a restatement of the promises at Bethel. We have an angelic encouragement at the two camps, Manahim, and then God engages in a wrestling match with Jacob at Penuel. In this third encounter, uh, we're going to look at four pictures of Jacob's life. Jacob trembling, Jacob wrestling, Jacob clinging, and Jacob limping. Four pictures from the life of Jacob. We see him here trembling before God shows up. He's alone at night. He's fearful of the future. He's fearful of, of all of those people that he's taken advantage of because that's his name, Trickster. And the picture here is of a restless and agitated man, alone at night. You know, nights are dark in the desert. Nobody does work at night in the desert. It's amazing what's up in the sky at night when you're away from the big cities. I remember several years ago, Laura and I were crossing the uh, River Shire in Malawi, Africa. And we were headed into the Lilongwe National Park. And I remember looking up at the sky. It was no light pollution whatsoever. And seeing the Southern Cross, because we were in the Southern Hemisphere. And that is an amazing sight, because it is a definite four points of light that you can imagine, you can see a cross there in the Southern Hemisphere. And I remember seeing that at night, and then crossing the river, hearing the sounds of hippos on the riverbanks. You know what sound a, a hippo makes? Hearing that on the riverbanks. Now, hippos may look cute, but they're dangerous animals. In fact, more, more Africans are killed by, by hippo attacks than they are by crocodile attacks. And so we're crossing this river at night, seeing the, the Southern Cross, hearing hippos, and thinking, this is an African worship experience. <laughs> but Jacob, who was too fearful to fall asleep, gets up, wakes up the, all the people that are with him in the camp, divides them into two groups, thinking if Esau attacks one, at least the other one will get away. And we see him pacing back and forth, his nerves are on edge, and the chapter says in verse 24, Jacob was left alone which I think is good. It's a good experience. He's away from all distraction. For the first time since leaving his father-in-law, Laban, Jacob is not around the distractions of the camp. And so quietness descends. The night is hushed, except maybe for the occasional breeze of the night air. Jacob gazes behind him. He gazes 
forward to his left and to his right. And then suddenly, a strong hand grabs him by the shoulder. So we see the experience of Jacob trembling to Jacob wrestling. Out of the darkness, a hand seizes Jacob. You can imagine how Jacob responded. Have you ever been alone at night in the dark and somebody grabs you? Are you kidding me? He was probably freaking out. Who is this? Our text in Genesis simply says a man. But yet in the prophet Hosea in chapter 12, the Holy Spirit says this man is called the angel. But that does not give us the whole picture until we recognize that the angel is not just any angel, but the angel of Yahweh, whom has been revealed on other occasions in the story of Israel. Same angel that appeared to Abraham in chapter 18. Remember the three visitors that come and visit Abraham. One of them is the angel of Yahweh who sticks back and and converses with, with Abraham while the other two angels go to Sodom and Gomorrah. Having been uh, discipled in my early days <clears throat> of following Jesus by Bible-believing men, I have always uh, been taught that this figure, this angel of Yahweh, was a... a a visible presence of the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, God the Word, Jesus Christ Himself. Now, I don't, I don't want you to, to miss this, because what is the most important thing about this text is that the man Jesus is said to have wrestled with Jacob and not the other way around. Jacob didn't wrestle with Jesus. Jesus started it. He wrestled Jacob. We must not think, as many commentators have suggested, that this passage is primarily an encouragement of what we would call prevailing prayer. It is not that Jacob is seeking God so earnestly that when God, as it were, got close to him, he grappled with God and refused to let go until Jacob received a blessing. That's true, but Jacob later... uh, begged for a blessing. Don't miss this. At the beginning of this scene, it is not Jacob who seeks God. It's God who seeks Jacob. Romans chapter 3 says no one seeks after God. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was because He came seeking you. Amen? He came seeking you. I didn't want to, when I was a, a, a drug using hippie in the 70s in Birmingham, Alabama, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. In fact, I remember when my younger sister, who did share the gospel with me, when she first confronted me and shared the gospel with me, I cussed her out. Thank God she didn't give up on that. She wasn't intimidated by her older brother. She'd do things like uh, in our home in Birmingham uh, in the in the bathroom. Uh, 
on the roll of toilet tissue by the by the uh, the john the commode toilet whatever you call it uh, she she would stick gospel tracks inside the roll of toilet paper so that when I pulled the toilet paper out tracks would fall on the floor so what was God's purpose in this wrestling match I believe that uh, the the South African author A.W. Pink is right on track when he says that Jacob was not wrestling with this man with this man to obtain a blessing. Instead, the man was wrestling with Jacob to bring him to a sense of his own nothingness. Jacob had a Jacob-centered worldview at this point, not a God-centered worldview. Now, this is not an easy lesson to learn because our flesh rebels against this. Have you ever had God wrestle with you? Have you ever wanted your way and were traveling down some road that displeased the Heavenly Father and He interrupted your plans? Has that ever happened to you? I would imagine you have. I, I have and, and most of us have fought with God at some point in our Christian experience. What's really hard to imagine is Jacob keeping up this struggle overnight. Because, as I said earlier, most college wrestling matches last about six or seven minutes max. And then you're worn out. And this goes on all night with Jacob and the angel of Yahweh. Don't we have frequent determination to have our own way and foolishly think that we will eventually win out over God? Is that not the way of sin? Sin hangs on. It refuses to give up. This is one reason why God must sometimes become a strong antagonist to overpower self and destroy sin's power. One detail in this story that I think we can readily understand because of our own willingness um, or willfulness, willfulness, our own willfulness to, to do what we want to do is God touching Jacob's hip so that it was wrenched out of socket. I think it's at that point that Jacob realizes, I'm not just wrestling with a mere mortal. Because all he did was touch his hip, and it's out of socket. At the risk of being misunderstood, I need to say this. God does not play fair. Now what I'm what I'm saying is that is not what I'm not saying is that God ever does anything unjust or sinful. You hear that, right? He never does anything that's unjust or sinful. But the Lord of the universe does right. One aspect of his glory is the uh, is the fact that he is the outshining of perfection. He is perfect in all of His ways. 
What I'm trying to say is that God does not play by our rules. He never loses. God is sovereign and His will is always done. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, we can pray with 100% confidence that that will happen. God's will is never thwarted. There's no one in the universe that can stop God from doing what He desires and plans to do. So whether we like it or not, God always wins the contest. If we're smart, we clue in on this early rather than later. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had your life put out of joint by God? Have you ever had your plans dislocated? I have. Laura and I moved to Atlanta, Georgia because I wanted to be a wealthy businessman. But God had other plans. He called me into the ministry. (laughs) It goes something like this. You're trying to do something contrary to God's will and suddenly out of the clear blue sky, God uses sickness or the loss of of a job or some severe setback or disappointment to bring you to the end of yourself and cause you to cry out for mercy and turn back to God. I am not suggesting, okay, please hear this, I am not suggesting that every sickness, every loss, every disappointment comes because we are out of the will of God. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that God sometimes uses that. could share experiences from my life where God brought me to an end of myself, uh, but we might be here for the rest of the month of March. So the bottom line is that God uses, as a loving Heavenly Father, He uses discipline in our lives. Those of you that are parents know that a child without discipline is just a rebel in a laboratory. You're not preparing them for life if you do not discipline them. Because they'll learn discipline either the loving way in a a stable home environment or they'll learn it the hard way in jail somewhere. But every one of us will learn discipline. It would not be loving of God the Father to allow one of His own to wander around in sinful rebellion with no consequences. And so this wrestling match immediately turns to Jacob clinging to the angel of the Lord. He's holding on for dear life. At least he has the good sense to do that. In this art gallery of Jacob's life, we have Jacob clinging to the one who has triumphed over him, the angel of the Lord. Jacob's strength is broken. He's desperately clinging to Christ for a blessing. And almost 2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul had to learn the same truth. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10, listen to what Paul says. Especially because of the extraordinary revelations that had been given to him, 
therefore so that I would not exalt myself. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan. Let me ask you a question. Who gave it? Who gave that thorn to Paul? Who gave it? God did. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But notice this. His response, the response of the Lord Jesus to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, what? Then I'm strong. Jacob is in the process of learning this lesson. All of his life, he'd, he'd taken pride and glory in his ability to get the best of everyone, to outmaneuver them, to trickster them, to, to grab their heel, to deceive them. And now that's coming to a screeching halt. And so Jacob is hanging on to the angel of the Lord, clinging to him. Now let me ask you a question. If you look at this picture of Jacob in his weakness, clinging to the angel of the Lord, do you pity him? Does Jacob seem to be a loser now? If that's what you think, you're misreading the picture. This is not a sad picture. It is a picture of a man remade in the image of God. This is a man who has finally surrendered to the will of God. It's a picture of biblical faith. One of my favorite British hymn writers from another generation is a man by the name of Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley expressed this clinging nature of faith in one of his hymns, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. Let me quote you just one line from that hymn. Other refuge have I none. Hangs my helpless soul on thee. Leave, ah, leave me not alone. Still support and comfort me. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with the shadow of thy wing. Charles Wesley knew what it was to cling to the Lord Jesus. He knew what it was like to surrender to the will of God. You know, one of the things that the Wesley brothers did here in England that's always fascinated me, just a little, uh, no extra charge for this, but a tidbit from church history. He and his brother John, in order to minister to, to people in debtor's prison, would have themselves sold into slavery so that they would be thrown in jail with the other people and thereby have a face-to-face encounter with people who needed to hear the gospel. That was their commitment to the Lord Jesus. Is that not amazing? Now say that not to shame you, but to encourage you that Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. Jesus makes this promise um, for those who have ears to hear today. 
He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You better believe it is, compared to carrying your own burden, compared to living um, consumed with your own plans, dreams and schemes and connivings and, and all of that stuff. No, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we go from Jacob clinging to Jacob limping. Do you realize that, that this was not just a temporary wounding? That for the rest of Jacob's life, he limped. Every step that he took, he was reminded of the grace of God in his life. Jacob knew the power of God. That is why the name change. Jacob means heel grabber, cheater, trickster. But God brought him to confess that in verse 27 of our text. But now Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel is a, is a compound of two words, meaning to fight or struggle. And then El means, it's a Hebrew word for God. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Now, <clears throat> um, don't miss the importance of this name change, because in other cases, names that have been changed is a compound of a verb and then L, like Daniel. Daniel means God judges. Not he judges God, but God judges. Samuel means God heard. Not he heard God, but God heard the, the cry of his mother, Hannah. God heard. Israel means God rules or God commands. God prevails. But you say, well, what about verse 28? It says, you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. I believe that verse 28 is irony. Irony. We see that many times in the Old Testament. In the book of Judges, the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon. And where is Gideon? Gideon is hiding off in a cave, threshing some wheat that, he, that had been rescued from the, the occupying forces at that time, the Midianites. And what does the angel of the Lord say to Gideon? You can look this up in your own time in Judges chapter 6. The angel of the Lord shows up and says, Hail thou mighty man of valor. That's, that's irony. <laughs> He's not a mighty, mighty man of valor. He's hiding in a stinking cave. And yet God says, you're going to deliver your people Israel. In God's logic, which is above and beyond our full comprehension, this loss is Jacob's victory. Why? Well, Jacob surrenders to the will of God. And so, he wins by losing. And is now walking in the power of a new man. Jesus said that if you found your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you have found it. I love this picture of the limping Jacob, for it's a picture of us, the church. 
We limp so far as our own strength is concerned. Why this picture? Because God God will not share His glory with another. God is infinitely more concerned with His glory than He is with ours. In the world's eyes, we're crippled. We're a bunch of crippled, ignorant, non-progressive, non-progressives because we believe that God-glorifying sex is between a man and a wife, a man and a woman. We believe that heterosexual monogamous marriage is the only legitimate form of marriage and that homosexual unions are just a mirage. We are seen as weak, but God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And it is when we appear weakest that we are the strong. A church like that, or even a single individual like that, who boasts in his own weakness, but boasts in the power of God, a single individual like that is invincible. Amen. So Father, thank You for the story of Jacob. Thank You for revealing to us Your all-sufficient power. And Father, thank You for revealing to us that Your plans and and Your designs for our life is the best possible plan that could ever happen. Father, give us the good sense to believe that and to act on that. And thank you, Father, that you have not dealt with us as our sins deserve. But you have shown mercy. Your word says that you are slow to anger, but quick to show mercy. Thank you for that, Father. It is because of your mercy that we are not consumed. And so, Father, right now I pray for the church in England. I pray for the church worldwide. Father, we cry out for mercy. Give us an all-consuming desire to see Your name made great among the nations. To see the fame of Jesus Christ spread. Father, give us a, a, a passion for that. Father, do not let us be consumed by small-minded dreams. And thank you, Father, that um, you watch over your word to perform it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.